This is Jack Scallions. Would you join me for just a few moments from my heart to yours? Several years ago, I took a trip to the Holy Land. Part of that excursion in Jerusalem brought us to stand at the foot of Golgotha's hill. Our guide stated that there was a great probability that Jesus was crucified, not at the top of that ridge, but at the base where all the roads from the west and east converged to make their way south. I noticed that a bus station was there. The Romans possibly chose that spot knowing that travelers would converge at that point. The cross of Christ could have been there beneath the image of the skull that loomed out of the limestone hillside. The cross was and is an ugly thing. It was used by the Persians but perfected by the Romans to extract the maximum suffering from their enemies. Thousands upon thousands endured the sufferings of a cross until Constantine abolished it in the 4th century. No wonder the word excruciating, meaning out of the cross, was spawned from its practice. It's easy to portray the human physical pain as God's ultimate plan for Christ on that cross. In reality, many had entered into those physical agonies. When Vespasian took Jerusalem in 70 A.D., Josephus wrote that 6,000 were crucified. It is not my purpose to explore the gory details of the crucifixion, except to say whatever you can imagine would be an inkling of its reality. The cross itself was horror enough, but nothing compared to the primary purpose that took place on Christ that day as he hung on that cross. For six hours, Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth. More than 30 prophecies were fulfilled that day. For three hours, from 12 noon until 3 o'clock p.m., darkness stretched over that scene. Jesus was alone in that darkness, suffering quantitatively and qualitatively all the torments of hell for all eternity, for all people, so sufficiently until God's justice was satisfied. What Jesus suffered was all that will be held for each person for eternity. All the pain, the thirst, the loneliness, the darkness, the regret, the anguish, the sorrow. The black cloud of judgment that rolled across the place of the skull that day and stopped over that cross contained all the sin of the entire world. All sin for all time emptied every drop on him. He paid the debt, and there's not so much as a penny due to the justice of God. Oh, we owe God our gratitude. We owe God our love. We owe God our service, but we owe nothing to his justice. In that hour, Christ took all our sins, past and present and future, upon himself. He was punished for all of them, so we might never be punished. God did not send Christ into eternal fire, but he poured on him payment for an eternity of fire. God did not send Christ forever into hell, but he placed on him equivalency of the punishment of hell. He took the cup of God's wrath, mixed in all the suffering, misery, and anguish of an eternity of hell for all men, and in one triumphant draught of love he drank damnation dry. No wonder he sweat great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane as he prayed, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But it was not possible, for he was to become the substitutionary vicarious sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
God's love initiated it, and God's justice demanded it. For this reason, it's blasphemy for any religion to add anything to God's payment for sin. Oh, we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Then we seek to rely on some human effort, church affiliation, communion, or baptism, to complete what Christ alone totally secured. It's foolish to assume there's a place called purgatory, where further punishment for sin is laid on a sinner after death, or that we can add a paltry pittance of pay to supplement Christ's payment for sin. Paul said it best to the churches in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. He stated, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If man could be made righteous through any human effort, then truly the death of Christ was a travesty, and the Bible is a book of lies. The cross was God's plan from eternity past. I am aware that the Roman soldiers arrested him. Judas Iscariot gave him the kiss of betrayal. The Jews witnessed against him. Pilate passed the judgment, but it was God's own plan of redemption that placed him on that cross. Him being delivered, the Bible says, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Every human being from our federal head Adam has a sin nature, and with it an eternal debt to be paid. Finite man can pay his debt against a holy God, but payment will be an eternal payment. Christ was virgin-born, his Father was God, he had no sin nature. Christ alone, who is eternal, could pay an eternal debt for an infinite number of people in a moment of time. The Bible says, And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied, propitiated is the word. Although I cannot comprehend so great a love, I revel in it and rest my soul upon it. Certainly salvation is all of grace and nothing of works. It is scripturally and logically impossible to be granted eternal salvation by works, for one sure reason. It is a fact we all sin daily by omission and by commission. In my fifty years plus as a preacher, I have yet to meet a man or a woman who, when pressed, would not own up to that fact. The great majority of the world's religions cry out, Do something, while the cross declared, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The cross is the culmination of all Bible doctrines. His incarnation, the virgin birth, the doctrine of sin, the truth of his grace, and the authenticity of Scripture all met at the cross. That day condemnation was lifted and justification was enacted, salvation was completed, sanctification became possible, and resurrection was on the horizon. You cannot know God and ignore the Christ. You cannot know Christ and ignore the cross. I listen as religious and secular individuals speak of God with no mention of Christ. His disciples requested Jesus to show them the Father, to which he replied, He that has seen me has seen the Father. For the most part, religion is content to speak of some divine being, but will draw up short at the thought of universal sin debt, a God who is holy and Jesus who paid that debt on Calvary's cross. All that was involved on the cross that day is as impenetrable as the darkness that enshrouded it. Jesus' cry of separation from the Father, the rent veil of the temple, Jesus yielding up his spirit, all signify 
that Christ is both the eternal sacrifice and the eternal high priest. Isaac Watt wrote this as a great hymn. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns comprise so rich a crown? My favorite hymn writer, I suppose, and my favorite hymn is uh, Charles Wesley's And Can It Be? He wrote this in verse 3. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? But that's exactly what he did for you and for me, my friend. Thank you for listening today for just a few moments from my heart to yours. <laughs>